We are continuing in our summer reading list series and specifically our study of Hebrews, which we're titling Jesus is Better. And last week we jumped into Hebrews chapter 7, 4 and 7, and we talked about the fact that Jesus is a better priest, that he is a far superior priest. He is the highest of all high priests that ever lived and ever served, and that his priesthood far exceeds even the best of priests all throughout Israel's history. In every way, he just completely eclipses them, and he is the fulfillment of all that they tried to be. And uh, as, as much as they tried, and as good as many of them were, they just never could come close to the priest that he was and is. And no other priest alive today could ever come close to that. And we talked about the fact uh, last week as we wrapped things up in that part that because of his eternal priesthood and his perfect priesthood that goes on and on forever, we have no need, uh, any of us, of ever looking to another human being as our high priest. We have no need whatsoever of it. We don't need to go and depend on some other person to forgive us and cleanse us of sin or to make us right with God. We don't need to look to someone else and vicariously live through them in our relationship with God. We don't have to pray to other deceased people uh, for, for empowerment spiritually. We have all of that in the person of Christ and because of his finished work. But There's so much about his priesthood and so much even in Hebrews 7 that it was just too much to cover in just one message in one sermon. So today is part two of Jesus, a better priest. There's just so much in this this passage that I don't want us to miss. So uh, we're going to try to wrap up today. So Hebrews chapter 7, let's go ahead and just dive into that. Uh, We'll be looking at verses 26 and 27. Hebrews chapter 7. Verses 26 and 27. We ended uh, last week with verse 25, uh, where the writer there says that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. That's completely. He's able to save fully all those who draw near to God through him, which is what all of us have to do. Jesus himself said, no man can come to the Father. They can't know the Father. They can't be known by him. They can't have a relationship with him, except... Jesus said, through me. So Jesus is always the only way to the Father, and that's what the writer here is saying, that all who draw near to God through him, Jesus is able to save completely, fully, to the uttermost. Nothing left out of that. And he tells us why. He says, because he always lives, he eternally lives to make intercession for us. We talked about what that meant last week, that we have an accuser that always and too eagerly stands to accuse us of, of all the wrong and the, the sin that we still give into, much of which he tempts us to and entices us toward, and then he accuses us of it. But we have the ever-living, faithful high priest interceding for us constantly for those of us who are in him. Hallelujah for that. Hallelujah for that. And then we pick up in verse 26. Look at that with me. Here's what the writer says. For it was indeed fitting, in other words, it was completely necessary that we should have such a high priest. It was completely necessary, it's absolutely needed for us, for us to have such a high priest as Jesus. The kind of high priest that he is for us, that we have in him, we all need. 
absolutely fitting for us. Everything that we need him to be. And here's what kind of high priest he is. The writer uh, gives us five major characteristics or defining uh, things about Jesus as high priest. Things that are true of him that make him that superior high priest. Things that show him to be exactly the high priest that we need. That we're not going to find anywhere else. We're not going to find by looking back through history. We're not going to find in the present. And we're not going to find looking ahead. We're only going to find what we need in the person of Jesus. So it's fitting that we have such a high priest. And here is the kind of high priest that he is. Holy, first of all, he says, holy. And we understand, I think, what holy means. It means pure. It means righteous. It means absent of sin. Um, That's something that we certainly aren't in and of ourselves. We can pursue holiness And by the Spirit's help that we have through Christ, we can know holiness. We can live holy lives. We can conduct ourselves in a holy manner. But we don't have or possess holiness, intrinsically, naturally speaking. And no one ever has. No priest, no matter how much they wanted to be holy, no matter how much they knew they needed to be holy, they could never attain to that themselves. That's why they could never be an all-sufficient priest. And they knew that. Holiness also speaks of uh, a right relationship and a right position with God. It speaks of, of a vertical position with God. Uh, if we are, are holy before God, then we're able to be accepted by Him. And again, that's not anything that any of us are able to have. But Jesus, because He is holy and always has been, He has stood in the gap for us. He has represented us before God, covering us by His holiness. And then He extends to us His holiness, enabling us to stand before a holy God. That's what we have in Him and by virtue of His holiness that no other high priest ever could lay claim to or know or experience personally. They always fell short. They always were reminded of their own lack of holiness. And every high priest from Aaron on needed their own holy high priest to cover them, to stand before them and to appeal on their behalf. And that's what we have in Jesus. Well, not only is he holy, he is also innocent, it says. We have such a high priest, holy, innocent. That means he is without fault. He's, he's completely without any guilt. That's what made his sacrifice so significant. Because those that were on his left and right on the cross at Calvary, they deserved what they got. They were criminals. In fact, they were not just criminals, they were probably uh, terrorists or murderers. They were the worst of the worst. That's what the crucifixion was reserved for. The Romans didn't want to just crucify anybody. They looked at crucifixion as a detestable, horrible thing. In fact, no Roman in in Roman society was ever deemed low enough to qualify for crucifixion. If you were a Roman citizen, you were still, even as bad as you could be, you were too good to be crucified. That was reserved for everyone else. 
And so here's Jesus at the cross, crucified between two criminals that were the lowest of the low in society, and he's right there in the middle being crucified as an innocent victim. And that's how he lived his whole life on earth. He, there was never an ability that anyone had to bring a fair, right, accurate charge against him. The Bible said, says that in him there was no guile, there was no deception, there was no deceit, there was no arrogance, there was no breaking of any law of God or of man. Completely innocent. And that, that also speaks to a, um, a horizontal relationship. That means the way he lived among people. He lived of, of absolute character. The way he treated people was constantly fair and right. And his relationship with people was, was always above board and, and full of integrity. He was innocent. And we have an innocent Savior that went to the cross for us who took all of our crimes and all of our sins and all the, all the ways in which we are completely opposite of being innocent. He took all that on himself. And he who knew no sin and who was innocent became sin on our behalf that what? We might become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, that we, through him and through his, his priestly work and his sacrificial work, that we could be innocent in and through him before God. That's what we have in him. So he's holy, he's innocent, and then it, it also tells us that he is unstained, or maybe your translation says uh, undefiled or, or unblemished, something like that. Think about that for a minute. Here's Jesus, who we know already just from this list is holy, in and of himself, naturally speaking, in his person, in his existence. He's also innocent, but, but here is, is something equally and maybe even more remarkable, that he is unstained or, or undefiled, unblemished, because he's living here on earth for the three and a half years that he was among sinners who are blemished, who are stained, who are defiled. He's living among all that, that you could point to and see as, as the lowest of the low and, and the sinners uh, that, that all of us would recognize as such. He fellowships with uh, prostitutes and eats with them. And he, he spends time with tax collectors, which all of Jewish society viewed as the bottom of the barrel. I mean, you, just, you didn't get any lower than tax collectors because they were Jews who took money from their fellow Jewish people and gave to the ultimate enemy, Rome. And not only did they, they take what was supposed to have been collected... The, the, the right tax, the proper tax, they took more and kept the balance. So they, they robbed from their people and aided the, the foreign occupant, the enemy. So they were, they were viewed as absolutely horrible, despicable people. And yet Jesus, all throughout his ministry, sought those people out, spent time with them, went into their home, which was always a sign of blessing. Anytime a rabbi or a prominent person, a leader, would go into someone's home, you were saying to them and everyone else, I value this person. I have purpose for them and I see purpose in them and, and I recognize what they can contribute. I, it's, it's a way of saying, I approve of you. 
in Middle Eastern culture, that's what you did. It was a great honor to go into someone's home, especially if you were a person of honor, which Jesus was. Even, even if he was not recognized as the Messiah, he was viewed as a respectable, honorable man of God, as a prophet, you know, a, a great teacher. And so all the time he was accused by Pharisees and scribes and others who were jealous of him and trying to bring about his ruin as being you know, one who associated with sinners and therefore was a sinner. And when they said that, they weren't just saying, you have sin in your life. They were saying, you are a practicing, habitual, vile sinner. You are one just like them. You are like a prostitute. You are like a tax collector. You are the worst of the worst. He had that reputation. He had a reputation as, as being a partier because he went and, and, and went to parties and fellowship with people and, and enjoyed life with people. That's what Jesus did. And so they said, you're just a, you're just a drunkard. And you're, you're someone who carouses with, you know, with those people. And they labeled him that way. And though he associated with all who were sinners and all who society recognized as being great sinners, he himself never sinned. He remained completely untarnished, unblemished, undefiled, unstained by all the sinners that he was around. And not only that, he had the full force of the enemy's attack against him all throughout his life and ministry. Remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? You know, Jesus was out in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights before he really launched into his public ministry. And that's when Satan came to him and said, if you really are the Son of God, do this. If you really are the Son of God, do that. If you really are the Son of God, you know, you're going you're to be able to turn these stones into bread because I know you're hungry. If you're really the Son of God, just go ahead and, and fall down before me and worship me as God and I'm going to give you all the kingdoms of the earth because they're mine to give. You don't have to go to the cross to be recognized as the King of kings and Lord of lords. I'll, just, I'll give you all authority that's under me. Hey, tell you what, you really want to be recognized as being from God, as being the Son of God? You, you need people to accept you and, and bring glory to you? You need people to hold you up as, as the Son of God you are? Just jump off the temple. Because the Word of God says He's not going to let anything happen to His Holy One. He'll send His angels and they'll bear, you, they'll bear you up. It'll be in front of everybody. It'll be great news. Man, people won't be able to stop talking about it. You'll be whisked away, put on high as King. And he tempted him and tempted him and tempted him. And every time Jesus withstood that. But the Bible says that after Satan saw he wasn't going to get anywhere there, it doesn't say that he left him for good. It says the tempter, the enemy, Satan, left him until an opportune time. That means Satan was always looking for ways to come against the incarnate Son of God. The God-man. And to tempt and, and work on his humanity. Because let's not ever forget, church, though Jesus has always been fully God, from the time of Bethlehem on, including to today, right now, and on through eternity, he will always be the God-man. Because he added to his divinity humanity for all of us. And so Satan was always trying to get at that aspect of him and to get him to, to give in and to cut short his route to the cross. 
We saw last week that this very book says that the reason that we should draw near to Jesus and and embrace him as our great high priest is because we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize or empathize with all of our weakness and all of our shortcomings and all of our sin and all of our giving in to temptation. It says, no, we have a high priest who is in all ways, in all points, in all categories, in all aspects, tempted as we are, yet without sin. So that means throughout his entire ministry, he experienced the full weight and full attack of the tempter, all without giving in. It's incredible. That's all what's wrapped up in that word, unstained or undefiled or unspoiled. It's like, it's like when um, you have a, a really dirty body of water, a really murky pond or lake or, or ocean, you know, and it's all stirred up, the water, and you can't see anything. It's all cloudy, right? If you go under, you can't see a thing. You can't see your hand under the water. It's no good. That's, that's not... That's, ugh. But if the sun is, is shining down on the water, as cloudy and as murky and, and yucky as all that water might be, the sun still goes through the water. It still cuts through all that. None of that murk and cloudiness can, can keep the sun from shining through. It, it's unaltered. It's unaffected. That's exactly how it is here with this description of Jesus and his, his priesthood and his work and his role as our great mediator here on earth and, and ongoing, never affected by sin. He's, you know, while he was on earth, he was knee deep in it. He was immersed in it. He was saturated uh, by our sinfulness and by sinners all around him. But that's why he came. The Bible says that he came to seek the sinners, to seek that which were, were lost. That the Son of Man came to serve the sinner and, and not, to, not to be served. He, he didn't come to exalt himself and, and put all the attention on himself. He came to go right where the sinner was, right where we all were, to meet us there, to love us there, to remain unstained by us, but to redeem us and to work for, for our good. It's, it's incredible. And no one but Jesus could do that. Every other uh, great man of God that, that lived throughout history... Uh, not only were they a sinner themselves, but they couldn't help but be affected by the sin around them. And that would be true of all of us. But Jesus is like oil and water. You know, the two never mix. We can't, we can't ever be in a sinful situation and not be affected by sin. And we can't, as human beings, be anything but sinners. That's what we are. It's not just what we do. That's why Jesus was so absolutely crucial Because only in him can the sinner be made a saint. Only Jesus can do that. And he did that all by remaining unstained himself. If he at any moment, for one second, had given in to sin, if he had for for one moment ceased to be perfectly holy or perfectly innocent, as we've seen so far in this list, if one aspect of his life could be pointed to as being opposite of that, opposite of holy, opposite of innocent, opposite of unstained, then he would cease to be the Savior that we needed, and he would cease to be the high priest that we need. 
That, that's, that's just the reality of the situation. That's why this is so important to understand. That's why this, this list here, these characteristics are so monumental and absolutely amazing. Then it, it continues. So he's holy, he's innocent, he's unstained, and he's also separated from sinners. Now that doesn't mean that he went around in this superiority complex or or he presented himself in an arrogant manner. No, that's what the Pharisees did. They always portrayed themselves as being above everyone else. Do you remember the um the time in the gospels where uh, we see um uh, a Pharisee, he's over praying on the corner and and he's He's uh, proudly walking around, kind of like a rooster, and he says loudly, I thank you, God, that I am not like this man over here, a sinner. But then you see, you see the sinner he's talking about. You see the tax collector, remember, lowest of the low, and he won't even lift his eyes to heaven. Instead, he, he's looking down at the ground, and he's beating his chest in anguish, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, that man went home righteous before God because he recognized his state before God and he recognized his need of mercy and grace by God that's you know the Pharisees they always went around as being totally separated from everyone else that's not what is meant here uh, by Jesus being separated from sinners what is meant here is is that in his person by his nature he was completely 100% righteous completely holy just like we've seen here in the previous description And that that made him able to stand above and apart sinners in order to redeem and rescue them. See, we needed, we all needed and need that kind of a savior and that kind of a high priest. One who is not down in the muck with us by his nature or by his action, therefore guilty of the same thing we are. Rather, we need someone who is above us pure and righteous and holy, free from sin, in order to reach down into the muck where we are to pull us out. That's what we needed, and that's what we have in Jesus. That's how he's able to be separated from sinners, and that's why we need him to be. We needed someone above us and beyond us, outside of us, to come into where we are and to bring us to where he is. And that's what we have in Jesus. It's quite a list already, right? Quite a high priest we have. Holy and innocent, unstained, separated from sinners. But then there's something else that is said. He's exalted above the heavens. Right there at the end of verse 26. Exalted above the heavens. Church, only God, only one who is God, could have that said of him. That was the very sin that Lucifer committed that caused him to have to be cast out of heaven is, he said, in pride and in arrogance and and in, in all that is sin, he said, I will exalt myself above God. I will be like the Most High God. I will sit enthroned. I will take my place at the highest hill of the, of the north on the holy mountain. I will sit in the holy temple. He wanted to exalt himself above God. And because of the fact that that God didn't say, you know what, you should be, you're right, you're able to have this happen. You do deserve to be exalted above the highest heavens where I am. Because he, he could not say that, that shows that 
Only God could have that set of him. Only God could enjoy that type of existence. All through the Bible in the Old Testament, God says over and over, I will not share my glory with another. That's why Lucifer couldn't attain to that, and that's why he had to be cast out. And so the fact that we have here Jesus, the high priest, the God-man, Jesus in his humanity being able to be exalted above the heavens, this is speaking of his human person. Don't miss this. This is talking about his role as mediator. This is, this is the priesthood we're, we're looking at here. This is the humanity of Jesus being recognized on the same level as his divinity, which shows that Jesus is the only one that could ever have that said of him and ever have that done. This is Jesus in all of his glory. This is Jesus restored to his rightful place that he had all of eternity before coming to Bethlehem. Only God could have that said of him and only God could could experience such a thing. This is why we have in Jesus a matchless example of what it means to be a high priest. This is why Jesus is so superior in all of his function, in all of his role, in all of his work. There is no one like him. There is no one better. Jesus is always better, always greater, always higher, always the supreme one. We're never going to find anything or anyone like him. Do you know him today? That's the question. That's the question that's the most important question that any of us could ever be faced with. Do you know this Jesus, this high priest? Is he your high priest? Can you say with absolute certainty that you know because you are in him, because at one point in your life you surrendered looking for any other savior and any other person to stand between you and God, any other person to give you what you needed, that you, you didn't look to anyone or anything else, that at some point you surrendered your life and all of your need and all of your searching to him. Can you say that with absolute certainty? If so, if you're in him today, then this high priest we're reading about is your high priest. And he is all these things that we just heard for you and for your need. Do you know him? Do you know him? Well, let's look at verse 27. That's, that's all the, the characteristics and the, the defining things about Jesus that truly make him that fitting high priest that we all need and that we all have. And then it, it goes a little bit further into just how important his work is and just how set apart his work is. That's, that's how set apart his person is. We just saw that from all those high priests. Now we see how set apart his actual work is from all those high priests' work that came before him. Verse 27. He, this great high priest, has no need like those high priests. Remember, this is a writer to the Hebrew people, to the Jewish people. And he's saying... Look back over all your history and all these, these high priests that, that came and went and, and kept having to get replaced because of death. All these incredible lists of high priests that we could all look at. He, Jesus, the great high priest, has no need like all of those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, which they all did, first for his own sins, which they all had to do before they could offer sacrifice for the sins of the people that they represented before God. They had to make sacrifice for their own sin because 
like we just said a few minutes ago, they were not holy. They were not innocent or, or um, free of guilt. They were not unstained. They were not separated from sinners. They were not any of those things. So they had to make sacrifices for their own sins first. But he doesn't have to do that. And then for those of the people. Why? He tells us, since he did this, this sacrifice, the sacrifice of sin, this atonement, this atoning work, he did this once for all. Once for all. This doesn't just speak of the one specific act of his sacrifice on the cross. Certainly that's what it's talking about, but it goes farther than that. This once for all, and the Greek word that's used here, it speaks to the, the central point and fixed reality of all of time and eternity. What is being said here, church, is that when Jesus did his sacrificial work and his sacrificial act on the cross, that that became the, the central fixed point of all of time before the cross, that all of time was pointing to and racing towards that moment at the cross where this great high priest, this holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners high priest and perfect Savior went to the cross to make the sacrifice that all the other sacrifices pointed to and that would end all the, the weight and the power and the importance and the need of all those sacrifices. But it also is the point of which everything ahead of the cross or after the cross points back to. So everything before the cross is pointing to it. Everything after the cross is pointing back to it. And so from the cross all the way through eternity, all of, of our need before God has been met because of what happened at the cross. And for all of eternity, we will stand redeemed and holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sin, not because we suddenly attain to it ourselves, but because of what He, the holy, innocent, unstained, separated one did at the cross. See, that's how important this is. That's what's wrapped up in this once-for-all statement. It's just full of weight and power. He did this once-for-all. Look at what it says, the end of verse 27, when he offered up himself. Do not miss this. This is incredible. This means that your Savior and mine your high priest and mine, in that, in that moment at the cross and by his work there, he was not only the high priest offering and making the great sacrifice to end all others, he was the sacrifice himself. He was both priest and sacrifice. Isn't that incredible? And just, just think about that. Let that soak in. No other priest could ever hope to, to be that. No one ever would have had delusions of, of grandeur of being that. No one would have ever conceived of that being possible. Every high priest understood the need to make sacrifice, but no high priest would ever think that they or any other priest 
could ever be the perfect sacrifice. They, it wouldn't have ever entered their mind. But here comes Jesus saying, not only am I the fulfillment of all these other high priests, not only am I the perfect high priest, I am also the perfect sacrifice, and I won't offer just a sacrifice. I'm not going to just offer some various sacrifices. I'm going to offer my very self. That also shows us that Jesus' life was never taken from him. Don't ever get the idea in your head, the very wrong notion, that Satan at the cross got one over on Christ. Don't ever think that Satan somehow was given enough power to be equal with with Jesus and the score was tied at one to one. That's not true at all. Jesus said, none take my life, I give it freely. When, When Pilate was about to say, do you not understand that I have the power to free you or to put you to death on the cross like the people are calling for? Jesus said, you would have no authority unless it were given to you. And Jesus said, I have the authority to lay down my life and to take it up again, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. So Jesus, the eternally perfect, eternally sinless, eternally holy, eternally unstained one, eternally separated from all sin, came to this earth, took on flesh, mingled among sinners, When he, being the eternal God, hated sin, and yet he loved the sinner enough to be where we were. And then he went to the cross, taking on himself all of our sin, becoming sin, becoming the sacrifice that took all of the fury and wrath and judgment of a holy God on himself in our place. Then, after he rose victoriously and ascended to the Father, continues forever interceding for the very sinners he went to the cross to save, even after we continue to choose sin instead of him. No other Savior. No other Savior like that. No greater priest will ever be able to be found. Stop looking. Your search is over. It starts and ends with Jesus. And in response to all of this, in response to all of this, the only fitting answer that we have, the only fitting response that we can give is that which is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And here's what the Apostle Paul says there, and it's so fitting for us to end this way this morning. Therefore, brothers and sisters... In view of the mercies of God, I urge you, I I plead with you, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. It's our only fitting response. As Jesus served on our behalf as priest, as he offered himself as a living sacrifice, we follow his example in response to him doing that for us. And we say to God, moment by moment, day after day, as long as we have breath, like we sang earlier, I surrender all, I give my all to you, to live for you, not for myself. How could I do anything else? That is what needs to define us as believers. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word.
I thank you for the elevation of Jesus. I thank you that all of your word, from, from really the Old Testament on, it points to Jesus. It points to the coming of your Son as the coming Savior that we, we all needed. All throughout history, humanity, from the very moment of the fall in the garden, we needed a Savior, and you promised one. And then all through the rest of history, all through the Old Testament, we see big arrows pointing to the coming Savior and the coming High Priest. And then... At his coming, and especially at his cross, we see the culmination of all that. We see the fulfillment of it all. And we see in his life leading up to the cross everything that we needed. And we see after the cross a faithful, unparalleled high priest continually interceding for us as we need him to because we are always in great need of mercy and grace and intercession. And in Jesus we have it. And because of Jesus, as we saw last week, we can come boldly before your throne. And we do that now, Father. Not in any right that we have in and of ourselves. Not in any level of arrogance. No. All because we have a faithful high priest who completed the necessary work on our behalf. And in him, and because of him, we stand before you. But I pray if there is anyone here that has not yet surrendered their all to your son Jesus as their Savior and priest, I pray that today would be the day that they do that. So that they can know on this Father's Day a perfect Father in you. So that they can know you no longer as judge, but as their very own Father and they, your very own son or daughter. May that be true of everyone here. And it's all because of Jesus that it's possible. And only because of Jesus. And it's in his great name we pray. Amen.